throws it alley. Oh! Welcome in to the Just Basketball Show for November 1st. I am Chris Manning. That is Brendan Clean. If you haven't already, please follow us in our podcast app platform of choice. Five star reviews only. Hit subscribe on our YouTube channel as well. Tons of great episodes in the back feed, including one where I made a prediction that we're going to talk about immediately going wrong on the last one. It lasted about a day before I was proven wrong. But again, those were unlikely but possible. So I I didn't exactly stick my whole reputation on James Harden not going to the Clippers. But we're going to talk about the James Harden trade today. First, got to say about our friends at Homage, the ultra comfortable specialty apparel company with NBA and WNBA licenses that have vintage inspired designs to be homage to the greatest stories, traditions, and figures across sports, music, and pop culture. Use our link below to make your purchase and support the Just Basketball Show. All right, here's our show today. James Harden trade. He's now with the Clippers. Sixers got an interesting return back. We'll talk about what they might do, all the ramifications of this trade. We're going to play a game of what matters most. Darren Fox's injury. Cam Thomas looking like the best version of Cam Thomas possible through three whole games. And the NBA's new in-season courts. Which one of those actually matters most? And then we're going to finish off by talking about probably what matters more than anything, which is the Memphis Grizzlies are 0-4 to start the year and are in a weird spot. But, Brendan, let's start with James Harden, who is now a L.A. Clipper. Here's the deal. Clippers get James Harden, P.J. Tucker, and Philip Petrusev. I think I'm pronouncing that right in the deal. 76ers got a 2028 unprotected Clippers first, a protected 2026 first, a 2029 first round pick swap, two second round picks, one in 2024, one in 2029. The 76ers also get Robert Covington, Nick Batum, KJ Martin, and Marcus Morris. I believe three of those players, Covington, Batum, and Morris, are on expiring contracts. And the Thunder got involved in this as well. They have a 2027 first-round pick swap with the Clippers in exchange for the 2026 Clippers pick they own being rerouted to the 76ers. So Sam Presti gets to wet his beak a little bit, and there's some other protections there. But that's the big structure of the deal. Matching salaries, some role players moving around, but hardened with the Clippers, and the 76ers get some flexibility and some role players to fill in in the meantime. Brendan, what is your reaction to, to this trade? Where do you want to start with it? My reaction is that I'm glad it finally happened. I mean, I think that's the bottom line, the first headline of anything that I'm feeling. But from a basketball standpoint, I think the main place my brain went on the Clippers end is that they the strengths that they had as a team when they put this uh, group together was size, flexibility, versatility. They don't really have that anymore. They're not really built the same way that they were when this all got put together. And I don't know necessarily if that's better or worse. I kind of feel worse about their roster than I did a few years ago, this hardened trade and getting rid of a lot of the forwards. And they were older players. It's not like they were the same guys that maybe led them to the conference finals in 2021. But I just sort of look, that was a definable great thing about the Clippers is that they were going to be able to switch, use their length and size, swarm you, swallow your offense up and and spit it out and, and have some isolation offense and shooting and everything to get them over the finish line. What's their strength now? What are the Clippers defined by? What What is the thing that, that you're going to be able to say the Clippers will do this to their playoff opponent or to anybody that they're facing on any given night. I don't know what that is after this trade. And I think to me that regardless of even Harden and what he can do and what his ceiling or floor might be, that feels like a big problem for them. Yeah, I'm still very skeptical of the Clippers. I don't think there's any way around that we should still be skeptical of them. I, I think Harden's going to help them to some degree. They've clearly craved a ball handler. They've clearly craved someone to do some of the things that Harden's good at, and certainly there's defensive infrastructure there, but I think there's still a lot of reason to be skeptical. I mean, Harden has 
not exactly held up physically in a real way. Like it's it's not peak Harden anymore. Like it's not like you traded for prime Houston Harden, right? Like you're trading for a guy that's had hamstring limitations and is not gonna be the like ball dominant guy. Maybe you don't need him to be anymore, but you need him to be connective tissue. I think figuring out the him and Russ thing is going to be fascinating on a lot of different levels because they obviously played together. There was some success in the small ball stuff once Clint Capella was traded there. But if you go back and like remember, I went back. I was reading Sirat Sohi's uh, re- kind of reaction to this trade at the Ringer before we started recording, Brendan, and I was reminded by reading her piece that Harden and Westbrook had like a falling out on a personal level in that situation. So like, what does that even look like? And, and, and how to, and is Harden, like, how does this all just kind of mesh? I think this is a, I think if anything, the person that probably has that, this depends the most on aside from like Kawhi being healthy enough to make this all kind of work. It's Ty Lu. I mean, Ty Lu has a really interesting personality challenge i think on his hands to just manage everything that's going to be going on here in a season that now i think does feel a little bit boom robust for the clippers considering the impending free agencies considering hardens probably wants and we know he wants another big contract like there's a lot on the line here for this clippers team and this doesn't i don't to me kind of gut reaction this doesn't i think this makes them better it makes them more functional but am i am i now putting them in with the sun well, nuggets in the west i'm not how does it make them well, better I don't think it makes think them better. So. I just said it doesn't make them better, but you're sounding like yeah. we agree. We don't agree. I think they're going to be a worse team. I don't think they're... I think there are... I think they could be more functional in a way that makes... Like, I can understand the vision, right? It's like Harden... If Harden comes in and he's not asked to be lead dominant score Harden and he distributes a lot, which he did really well in Philly, to his credit, and he feeds and he feeds the shooters and he feeds Zubac and he and they they can and him and Russ figure it out. There's a way that like he just eats some innings, especially the regular season, and makes them more functional. I think they're t- it's a big risk to trade away like all of the wing guys. Like I, I there's a version of this deal that I probably like better for them where like Norm Powell is going out and they get to keep one of Covington or Batum or Marcus Morris, and you just have another one of those kinds of bodies still on the roster. But I think for, I I am skeptical that this works, Brendan, but I can understand why you say, okay, we just needed someone to actually kind of be the facilitator. They've been searching for that for however long now. And all you want to say about Harden, and I think any criticism you have of him is fair. I, we, we, it's all there. It's just, it's part of his record. He's going to give them something in that capacity that, that they, I think they clearly felt like they needed. And that I can understand, even if I'm skeptical that this team is, has it in it to win a title, even after this trip. So two things. One, they did get P.J. Tucker. I guess three things. They did get P.J. Tucker. So that is, I think, their version of alleviating some of the loss. I think Marcus Morris was done. Um, yes, we agree. Covington, they started. Batum has already told us this is his last year, so kind of sucks for him, but not exactly somebody you're building around or counting on in a major way either. So, okay, maybe it's a wash. I think losing KJ Martin is is a pretty big deal because I thought that was a nice acquisition for them and somebody that you could see bridging that gap and becoming part of the next identity of this team. So maybe I'm more talking about him than anything. Maybe Tucker makes up for the losses of the other older guys. As for what the Clippers might need... Mm-hmm. In term, what they think they need, which is what you seem to be buying, that they're right about their own identity. Did they not get that in Russell Westbrook? I just don't think I don't think Russ is the flavor that they are looking for. Is the way I would answer that. I think and Russ, James Harden, who literally got his coach fired because he wouldn't pass the damn ball last year, is like you're making it sound like we're t- like we've never watched James Harden play basketball, and he's just this theory. They traded for a theory who's six foot four and won an MVP award. No, they traded for James Harden. He's not going to facilitate the basketball for the star players. That is not going to be what his role is. They did not trade for. Minnesota Timberwolves Ricky Rubio or something. This is just James Harden. He's not going to do that. Just like Russ didn't really do that. I, I just, I don't think that this guy who we know a lot about is plugging the hole that 
even if you agree they think that that they're right about needing to plug that hole, which I'm not even fully sure is true. I think the ball in the best player's hands on that Clippers team is where they're at their best. Kawhi isoing, PG coming off screens, and okay, maybe somebody needs to set him up on those screens, turning defense into offense. All that type of stuff is when they're at their best. I've never really bought that they needed one, but even if you do, I don't think Harden is is even that player, let alone a good version of that player. So I think so like I agree with you. Like I'm like I think we're like 95% on the same page. I think I think what I'm kind of envisioning for Harden is some of just what we've seen in Philly where it's like, yes, is he going to need to have moments and will he have moments where he is doing Harden stuff and taking step backs and ISOing and, and being James? Yes. But is there going to be times where he does spread around a little bit and lean into that role that we've seen him do a little bit in Philly and a little bit in Brooklyn the way we never did in Houston when he changed situation? I think that's that's the calculus. I, I, I tend to think that if I, if I was... The Clippers. I might have preferred Malcolm Brogdon, just in the sense of like give me like the more traditional, just like point guard kind of thing. And just frankly, from like a leadership and like dependability standpoint of just like you kind of know what you're getting as long you know what I mean. Mm-hmm. Like you kind like there, there's less volatility there. Probably even more physically unreliable than Harden, though. To be fair, which, with which, Brogdon, yeah, which which is a real concern. I don't think they really had the. I don't know. I don't really believe they necessarily had the ammo to get Drew Holiday, which would have probably been an even better fit, right? In, yeah. To some degree, just no. just. In I think if they did, they might have him, right? Yeah, we know they were interested, but they didn't have the ammo. And this is this. Look for this is what I this is kind of like my ultimate feeling on this for the Clippers. It, this is imperfect. This whole era has not exactly gone to plan. This feels like one of those trades you're making to try and get something out of this era and try to maximize it in some way based on star power. And that, that to me, even if I'm really skeptical of it, that this is going to end well, and I would not want to be the Clippers giving Jim Harden his next contract as he gets older and older. I understand how they get here, even if I'm highly skeptical of this. Like, I, like you just don't know. Like, even... You don't know that Harden and like you could say like okay we're gonna have Ka- Kawhi Harden and Paul George and Russ in the playoffs so, like the only one who's like physical I'm physically sure is gonna end up being there at the end of the day is like Russell probably be physically healthy the other three I have no idea yeah what what Har- what and is Harden gonna be good right off the bat like are you getting mo- like I just don't you don't know anything you're getting here and again I to me this all goes back to like Ty Lue is gonna have to push every button correctly and manage every personality perfectly like this this is now. I think as much as it like this is the roster he has, it's on Ty Lue, I think, to to make it like they're basically saying, Ty Lue, can you make all of this work is what I really read on this ultimately. It's like Ty, can you figure all this out for us and lead a very interesting mix of personalities to to maximize whatever is here. Yeah, I just I mean, so the why they did the trade thing was the last point that I had. We can get there and then maybe do the Philly stuff, but I think the last point on the Clippers, personality-wise, yes. There was problems with Harden and Westbrook from what it sounds like. I don't really think they can play together. Westbrook, at his best, was with Harden in Houston, played the center position. <laughs> yep, yep. That is not what he will be playing on this team. Nope. And... To your point about, yes, yeah, spraying it around, you know, maybe you could see somebody like, does Norm Powell have good on-offs with Harden or something like, sure, does, you know, like maybe the centers develop some good pick and roll chemistry with him. Okay. Bones Highland, sure. But Bones and Harden together, by the way, is it a hilarious like backward to consider? <laughs> It is. So I think that the defensive case is actually one that might be easier to make because he has switched and he seems to be the most engaged there. It's a little bit maybe better of a fit than other places might be. I actually worry about somebody like Terrence Mann defensively now in this structure because I think he's somebody that maybe doesn't always switch. But anyway, offensively, he's not 
a good fit with the best players in sort of a pecking order type of way because when he does not have the ball, he doesn't really space. He doesn't really take spot-up threes. He doesn't really obviously cut or do any of those sorts of things. He doesn't really want to play fast, which I think the Clippers can do at times. So I just... I don't I don't know what this is going to look like at all. I don't feel like there's a great way to slice it that makes sense. How they made the trade, why they made the trade, I think maybe is the most intriguing thing to me from a Clippers standpoint is they according to Sham Sharania, this deal got done because the owners had a phone call. Mhm. You might not have to look any further than that for why the Clippers got this thing done at the end of the day. They didn't have to give up Terrence Mann, which nobody seemed to want to do there, and the owner got desperate. Do the star players... How badly did they even want Harden? I don't really know if we know that. Ty Lue, like, okay, yeah, I guess he has a big job on his hands, but he doesn't necessarily want to be there long-term because they didn't give him an extension. Like, nobody was incentivized to do this outside of, I guess, Steve Ballmer, and that's who ended up getting it done. The Clippers are... uh, They are in their own little lane, I think, as far as how how they've built this. They're they're kind of a one-of-one example, and I think there's... There's just a lot of trickery. There's a lot of complications. Um, I don't. I don't envy where they've ended up based on how the Kawhi Paul George thing has gone. I think they're they're just in like a really tricky spot in a lot of different fronts, and I. I that's where like I empathize with this ultimately, Brendan. It's just like wondering, like how do you actually even navigate some of this? Cause I think it's really hard to navigate this. Let's let's end on this part and this and them. We both, I think, said in our best case scenario for them in our preview was Western Conference Finals. Is that best case now higher now? Is it lower? Like, where are you at on that sense? It's probably about the same. Yeah. But they mortgaged a decent amount of their future for this, too. I mean, and that's the place to, I think, pivot to the Sixers is... To me, this pick, this trade for the Sixers was entirely about the next trade. Mm-hmm. And I think we kind of knew that, but especially now that it did not end up including Terrence Mann, who you could at least envision being a part of the next 76ers team. I don't know if anybody here is. I think KJ Martin could be interesting for them. I'm sure some of these guys will play. I think like Batum, for instance, is kind of a fun fit next to uh, Embiid. They've never really had a big four next to him. I know it's you know mid 30s Nick Batum, but this was about well, who, the picks. Well, a big four who wants to shoot. Nick Batum will shoot in a way. PJ Tucker's just like not not about. I think more defensively. They've had guys who can yeah. shoot at they've played Niang next to Embiid and stuff. I think the defensive yeah. kind of extra length, extra size and IQ and stuff like that. You could they got a little bigger which I like and the Clippers got a little smaller and that's what happens when you trade all your forwards for one player. But <laughs> I think this is a pretty smart trade for Philadelphia to be honest. I think it gives them a little more depth this season and we can just kind of see how far the Embiid maxi thing takes them and maybe they make their next trade as soon as February but either way whatever that next move is going to be whether it includes the cap space that they're going to have or a big trade with these picks or both they did set themselves better up better for the future and I think you alleviate a little bit of the uncertainty around this team now that you at least have a plan yeah I think thinking about this as like a transition trade makes the most sense Right. This is a, a situation where again three of their play of these guys are on expiring contracts. I don't look at next year as a great free agency class necessarily. I mean you can you can go through the names, you can look at Siakam. I don't think Siakam is necessarily like the perfect third guy that I'm kind of looking for in this situation. You know, are you trading for Levine? Like I, I think there's some questions about just kind of what exactly you're going to do with this. The funniest, I guess the funniest part of this, you go to like the hoop side has their, uh, like for top free agents, the number one is Kawhi and number four is Paul George. So it's just like, are you <laughs> like, 
like what 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 is the move here? You know, like I guess for Philly as far as free agency goes. So I mean, trade wise, it's I think saying Levine is short selling what they could do. I mean, we never know in nine months who's going to be available in the NBA. So well, if we know, I think you're just setting yourself up to pounce when that arises. I don't think it's like all right now let's go get Levine. You know. Yeah, and if, and I think if we understand Daryl Morey. I think Daryl Morey is someone who is going to be comfortable waiting and navigating some of this and communicating to Embiid that, hey, it's like, hey, look, we understand, you know, James isn't here. I cannot wait to hear what Joel has to say about this, frankly, because uh, I, I don't expect he's going to hold back very much. It's not really his M.O. And then, like, yes, like, I think they're in a good position to wait. They have the cap space now. And secondly, like, they also got role guides. They got... They got like three role guys that I like that they can just plug in and play. Covington comes back to Philly. KJ Martin's a really nice kind of like upside play for them that they could kind of build with going forward a little bit, I think, as a rotation guy. Batum, as you mentioned, is a good fit. And Morris is at least a body. And it's like they got things that fit with what this team is right now with Maxi and Embiid kind of shepherding everything with Tobias Harris taking on a bigger offensive role. Like what they did is both kind of, I think, a holdover until something bigger. Because we know Daryl's going to be aggressive. That's pretty clear here. And they got role guys that just helped them be competitive now. And, I mean, they took Milwaukee to the brink opening night. You know, Joel doesn't play the home opener. I still I still have some questions about what this team ultimately is going to be. But it, as far as, like, going getting bodies, they, like, turned Tucker, who's playing for them, and Harden, who wasn't playing for them, into more bodies that at least are going to give them minutes. And that that in itself is a win for a team that can't... Like, I don't think they could afford to just take a full step back this year and punt on the air, and that's that's not what I think what this trade does for them. I think this trade allows them to kind of patch things over and then hopefully be able to pounce again in, in a couple months when something inevitably does break and, and, and someone becomes available. All right, question to close this out. Who starts for each of these teams now? The Clippers and the Sixers. Go Clippers first. Harden, Kawhi, Paul George, Zubac, and Mann, I guess would be my five. So Russ is coming off the bench. Yeah, I don't think you can start Russ and Harden. (laughs) That sounds like a pretty big problem with doing this trade. (laughs) No, I don't think you're wrong, but I'm just saying. uh, I would probably say... I mean, what I think they should do is probably like if I'm just operating in a vacuum and being naive, I might say bring Harden off the bench, but that's I, not tenable. I, no, I James Harden's immediately pouting and going back to Houston, Texas. If, if, if and you don't do this trade and, and shift your infrastructure as an organization to to acquire a bench player. So, of course, he's not going to come off the bench. So, yeah, you're probably right. Um, Sixers, who starts? Maxi, Melton, Harris. Let's go Batum, and let's go Embiid. But I could see Covington and, instead of... Batum and Covington's kind of a, a flip-flop to me. You could convince me of either one, but I think the rest of that stays the same of what it's been, and you just plug one of the new guys in at the four where P.G. Tucker was. Yeah, I think you're right. I I want to just see them put maybe even more size than that out there at times too. Mm-hmm. Would be one thing, you know, like could you put played like Harris as like a two at times and have two of those forwards out there or one of them and Kelly Oubre at, at the same time. And that they now have the flexibility to do that in a way that we've never really seen them have you know i guess like with butler and simmons together but even then it was like jj reddick is kind of a weak link defensively and neither one of simmons or butler is like any sort of rim protection help at all whereas covington and batum can kind of do that a little bit you know so i like it i'm I'm more excited to watch this team i think after this even if we don't know exactly what the rotation is going to be which team which team do you have more confidence in to make a, a deep playoff run Uh, still the Clippers because they kept Kawhi Leonard and Paul George who 
are great. I think Kawhi might be the best player on either of these two teams. So if he's healthy, yeah. Of course, same same with Embiid. I mean, sure, yeah, of course, yeah. if they're healthy. I think Philly with the uh, the size thing is I think a good way to end this, just because I think that there's some teams in the East I think that can cause a problem for that they're maybe competing against in the middle. I think this kind of some of the size I think negates some of the Knicks' advantages against Philly. And I think the size will be a big issue for Cleveland in that. And if they're competing for in that three, four, five range, I think this gives them me some some. I like just kind of how they're going to match up with those two teams now. I think on paper, if we're looking at the middle of these below that upper tier. Mm-hmm. So, Fergon Korkma is also not traded, which tough for Fergon. Just no one, no one seems to to want that guy. Wanted the trade, didn't get it. He was like, hold on, there's a transaction happening. Can I be involved, please? I've been asking for Can three I? years. And then they said no. <laughs> yeah, and everyone's like, are you sure you're good? Forgot. All right. What matters most? Uh, reoccurring game we play here where we, again, we, go, we pick three topics and we actually talk about what matters most. There's two on-court topics today and then there's one uh, from the headlines kind of thing that I mostly just have some feelings about. We'll get there. Yeah, well, let's just start there. Get your... In-season tournament court takes off because this is not related to what matters most. I'm not going to pick this. It doesn't matter the most out of the basketball things. So go ahead and and vent if you would like to. These these are trash. These are absolute trash. They look bad. This this is overthinking it. The NBA is like, I understand you want to make this a thing. I think a lot of these look, frankly, ridiculous. I think they look like something you would design up in 2K and like slap on the court. I think you are really they are really clearly trying to make this a thing. Um I just don't think these are actually good and I just don't understand like I think these are gonna look ridiculous in, in real time. I, I just think they're trying way too hard with some of this stuff. So you hate fun? I don't hate fun. I love the in season tournament. I think the courts are just like a step too far, Brendan. Do you like like, do, do, you you like, do, they, do you like any of them, or is it just the very idea is an affront to your personal basketball fandom? I don't like it. <laughs> I think like there's some parts of it. I just think like they're overdone. I think like the, I just also don't think like a lot of like the the way the NBA looks right now with a lot of the jerseys and the, a lot of like the aesthetic of a lot of teams' jerseys and a lot of teams' looks. I don't think a lot of this stuff actually looks very good from like a design standpoint. I don't think these courts look that good from a design standpoint. You know, I like it's just this random trophy that we have no emotional connection to. It's just slapped in the middle of the court to signify. But that's, that I think, like, the point that I can get aboard a it with is I do think from just like getting people's attention standpoint, signifying that this is a thing, that this is something different, that this matters in a different way, that it's not just some game that's being played. And they are clearly aware that they're fighting an uphill battle to like have fans embrace this have people in the league embrace this and they are going all out and maybe there will be some things we look back on that are ridiculous i can't say i spent like a ton of time analyzing h1 so i'm sure i will turn on a game and just let out a massive sigh at one point for how bad one of them is going to look i'm i'm readily going to admit that but i like the the inspiration behind it which is just like hey let's make this as much of a thing as we possibly can. And I think that will pay off. I think that over the years, it'll be like, oh, the courts are back. Oh, it starts the second Friday of the regular season. Oh, it is going to have teams that are in my general region. And then it'll be in Vegas. Like that's how you kind of build the habit. So I I don't hate it, but yeah, the actual courts themselves, I'm not going to, not going to disagree with you on. They, they clearly, somebody at, at, at the NBA League office clearly worked for Boise State like 15 years ago, and they just really took off with it. I think the commercial they did with Michael Imperioli is great. Like Kawhi, just ha- like in that commercial, I like that they had like a mix of different, like Draymond is a security guard. You snuck Darius Garland in there. Like you had a good yeah. mix of teams and like levels of superstar and younger guys. And, and so that really worked for me. Need a bigger suit for DeMar DeRozan or a smaller suit for DeMar DeRozan next time would well, be ben, one tip. The man's like Maggie, swimming in his. Yeah, in but his that's like in that, that's like in now. That's in now. Like big suits are I, in. 
no i not for aware but that one it was like it just it felt like he like a teenager borrowing his dad's suit it just it we know they that he has the money the nba has the money just make him look a little better He's a, okay. he's a cool looking dude. I mean, he has the, the rose going on. He is a very famous superstar, recognizable person. I just didn't like how they did him in that in that ad. But the the Imperioli thing was cool. I, I will agree. Yeah. Uh, yeah, and Kawhi honestly just can't every time you put Kawhi in a commercial it's magic. Like the HEB commercials from back in the day are are forever some of the funniest like advertisements I've seen them play him in the in the New Bounce commercials always geeks me out cuz I'm just like Imagine Kawhi on like imagine like Kawhi and Cameron Brink having small talk just like like I just like what is that like I have lots of questions you know him and our favorite Hooper Jack Harlow made some magic together <laughs> on screen right wasn't he in one of the commercials yeah do you think Kawhi was like real like hey man you know you the you know your hand was wrong I don't think Kawhi like, watched the film if that's what you're asking me if Kawhi watched yeah. white men can't jump on Hulu <laughs> the Hulu original film white men can't jump no I do not think Kawhi Leonard I'm not sure. wasted his time with that I don't know how many people Kawhi, did I don't know if it's in the six figures if I'm being honest of total people who watch that movie I, I also wonder what movie Kawhi Leonard like movies Kawhi is really into if I'm being honest you know all right let's let's do a okay, real let, let, what matters most okay Okay. Basketball here's, edition. Here's the two, two topics. Deer and, I have Deer an extra one. So you do the first okay. two and I'll add a third. Okay. So we have three. Deer and Fox's ankle injury, which came at the, he came, he heard it in the other night, comes back in the game, finishes it. They win. Uh, but it's going to keep him out at least for like, looks like a week, but it doesn't seem like it's super, super severe. And then Cam Thomas, who someone we both know, Brendan, I'll text and tell you who's told me this, uh, said he vacillates between looking like, uh, Michael Jordan in his prime and a two-way guy who doesn't belong in the league has had 30 mm-hmm. points in every game so far this season. So those are the two. What's the third you have? The third is something we talked about briefly with Jack on the last episode that I think we discussed off-air afterward, which is the on-off plus-minus numbers for John Collins so far this season. Not net rating, not anything. I think I mentioned this on the show, but we'll we'll talk about it here. Minus 46. So it's gotten even worse since I brought it up on the show. We didn't focus on the Jazz a ton. So there we go. I also will add Brooklyn-wise, they the biggest player that they started on Monday night was Dorian Finney-Smith. That in and of itself mm-hmm. could be on this list. I don't really... They just are anti big man in Brooklyn it seems um but the Cam Thomas thing is is definitely he's I mean he's every Hooper's dream all right which one matters most though between these three for you the if if Fox had been out like a month I would have said that but it doesn't seem like he's going to be out that long right I don't really know I don't know if there's been a specific prognosis it's just like an weeks type of thing is what's getting thrown around I, i'm not sure if we have a, an official thing yet yeah i saw an anscape report that i maybe i hallucinated reading this that's very possible who knows but he it's a moderate sprain so i it doesn't like that's the way that they phrased it's it It's indefinite is the official like team announcement so that yeah. we don't the, really know yeah and the mark j spears espn write-up was quote, though the Kings sent a statement that Fox availability to return will be determined at a later date, a source expressed optimism that the 2023 All-Star can return within a week's time. So that would be like... So probably not that then. So that's like just a normal, like, you miss some time. That's already happening across the league. Like, Devin Booker's missed time, Donovan Mitchell's missed time, Darius Garland's missed time. Actually have another one to add here on this note, which is... uh, local to me which is did have you seen this video of bradley beal that went around yesterday i have not tell me about it it is him on a practice court in phoenix getting okay. some shots up do you know what bradley beal's injury yeah. is or should i say it's back spasms yeah. is what he's dealing with he allegedly uh, reportedly re-aggravated this before the last preseason game when the coach told everybody he was going to play full yep. go last preseason game suddenly Remember never mind this. yep 
then obviously misses the first three Suns games. And Tuesday, as we're recording this, he's not going to play uh, tonight either. So that's now five games in a row. Um, the dude looked like he was... Like, have you ever seen when they separate off the courts at a gym or a YMCA for like the old folks basketball game? Mm-hmm. It's kind of how Beal was moving in this Uh-oh. video. So maybe that can replace the Fox one since the, the Fox thing is alleviated since we originally had the idea so that's my but it answer. sounds like you're not picking it either okay you're then that's yours all that right. all right that would the beal one would be my answer because like that's actually like getting a team that needs reps together getting its title stuff figured out is, is kind of my answer there the cam thomas thing is fun i don't know how much i believe it sometimes guys just like have these little hot streaks and he's certainly really talented but i don't know how much i believe that this is like a real thing for him um and look john collins i feel for him but like it just feels like he's just a guy that is perpetually kind of a square peg trying to be shoved into round holes right now in his career. That's a little bit tricky. And secondly, the Jazz just are not very good. So I'm not exactly mm-hmm. sure like what the what the, the it's Beal. The answer is for me. The, oftentimes, you're going to default to which one of these actually impacts like the title. And the Beal one would more than anything else. My second, if I wasn't going to pick that one, it would it might be the counseling just because, like they did give up an actual pick to get him, and he is a guy that I think is a good basketball player, but certainly maybe he feels like a guy Brendan that is kind of as the league is evolving in different ways and whatnot. He's kind of one of these guys that's getting caught in between different ways like he's just not a perfect fit for the way a lot of teams want to play right now unless you're going to get him in a very specific situation like i think he might be good in like okc playing next to chet where he could like actually like be in the middle of the floor more but in some of these situations when he's playing with other centers it's just not perfect for him. see i kind of that like you just came up with an example i kind of think colin there's a number of places like we talked about it with sacramento as a possibility where he can kind of make up for sabonis who's not necessarily a floor spacer but is at least a passer obviously somebody like towns or Jokic or there's a lot of players like that these days and he just hasn't found his way there but um yeah i think it's just not looking great for for Collins. That would be mine, just because it's been such a, a bad start, and it was a pretty big move for them. Obviously, they didn't give up a lot, but it kind of reorganized how their team was going to look in a pretty significant way. And for it to just look so bad right away, he's also shooting four of fourteen from three, which was really the thing from him last year. After that thumb injury, he just could not hit mm-hmm. a shot, and if that is also going to plague him, then yeah, maybe we just have to think about him a little bit differently uh, overall as a player. Maybe even where we thought he might fit isn't going to work anymore if he is a lesser version of himself too. But that would be mine. We'll see with Beal. I don't want to panic for my own mental health, but that would be significant if he continues to this time too. Yeah, look, I, I there's, there is a little bit of just a weird injury thing going on right now. Um, it's There are teams that have a lot of pressure on them this season. I mean, I, Brennan, am I for my mental health as well like you look at this in in my neck of the woods like we're getting Cavs we're recording this on Tuesday this is before Cavs Knicks the first of two there's a chance Darius Garland and Donovan Mitchell don't play in either of those games and they both have hamstring issues and if there's an injury that freaks me out it's a hamstring yeah and I'm just like okay like are we are we sure like all this is just like and Bradley Beal's hurt and Devin Booker's been hurt. Like it's Bam. It's Bam not, has a hamstring yeah. thing too, I think, or a hip. No, he has a hip problem. Yeah. yeah. Jimmy's already missed I mean, the game. It's just like like injuries are part of the par thing. for the course in the NBA, but also it does feel maybe earlier than normal. You know, to have it already kind of like the small stuff adding up for teams already this early feels weird. They're obviously a, a fluke major injury you can't control, but. To have like, oh, a soft tissue thing or a bone bruise. or It's like, hold on, you've been playing basketball for a week. How are you doing this already? Um, yeah. Speaking of injuries, I think we can pivot to the Memphis Grizzlies. Oh, boy. This is this is, this is is really what matters most, Brendan, because uh, the Memphis Grizzlies uh, don't feel... They feel a little bit, not dead, because Jaws out and all that stuff, but they're own four. Have you looked at their net rating through four games? Give it to me. <sighs> Minus 8.4 per hundred possessions. 
That's 23rd in the league because there are some really stinky teams right now. Washington, minus 17. Washington might be the worst team in the last, like, five years. Because Jordan Poole does not give a fuck, and that team is just bad. Uh, Houston. Can I give you their net rating with Desmond Bain off the court? Yeah. You have it? So you need me to, I do. You need me no, to, I got yeah. it. With him on, they're minus four. So not great, but that's still better than what you just gave us as their overall. So they're plus mm-hmm. four when he's on, basically, compared mm-hmm. to their normal. When he's off the court, their overall net rating is minus 17. <sighs> For fuck's sake. <laughs> this, this is... And like, I mean, that's a, a player who even in and of himself is not exactly some sort of elite offensive creator. I mean, we talked a lot in our season preview about how can he take a leap and we can get into some of that because I do have thoughts there, but this is not like Steph on off for the Warriors where it's like, well, yeah, no shit. He's like the most game-changing offensive force the league has seen in years. So yeah, you're going to struggle to replicate that when he's off the court, even though you have Clay Thompson and Draymond Green and Andrew Wiggins and whatever. It's like, no, this is Desmond Bain. He's like a fringe all-star. People were mad that he got a, a... first extension max this summer because they didn't think he was worthy of that. This is not somebody who should be breaking your offense when he steps off the court. And they just look hapless a lot of the time on that side of the the floor, even with Bain on, but especially when he's off. They, I mean, they don't have another trusty offensive creator. I mean, they just, they don't. They have one guy right now who is playing real minutes who can actually initiate offense for them. And even he, I, I like Desmond Bain a Smart. lot. Oh, I thought you were saying besides Bain. Smart is somewhat of that. Yeah, but it's... I mean, I think we, we've known for a long time what the limits of Marcus Smart like creating offense for you kind of is. Like We understand the limits of that. That's not going to like solve this issue. He is additive if you have... like He makes much more sense as your second or third guy if John Morant is around. Yeah. And he's not... This is a team last year by compared in the last two years, net rating plus five last year, plus six point two the year before. Right now they have an expected win if they were net rating held for the entire season, this is the expected expected wins of twenty point eight. That's they've just been absolutely horrendous. And like, yes, yeah, some of this is I think somewhat predictable just because Ja is such a big part of the team. He's not around all of that stuff. But it, for a team that has guys that we really like, has Jaron Jackson Jr., has Marcus Martin, has Desmond Bain, has even bench guys and young guys, you'd expect you to take some kind of a step forward. And a, and a coach that I think has good stuff and runs good stuff and I think is pretty well thought of in Taylor Jenkins, it shouldn't feel this underwater this early, even without Ja, is where I kind of fall on this. That, that's, that raises some real alarm bells for me. So to give some of the statistical context here, teams are reigning in threes for against them so far. 42% opponent three-point percentage on 160 attempts. So maybe you could take a little bit of issue with the number of attempts that they're allowing. But for instance, like against Dallas on Monday, right? In the beginning of the game, Grant Williams got hot. Late in the game, Derek Jones Jr. got hot. Like that's going to fry your numbers to an extent early in the season. If you have a night where Derek Jones, you know, bombs threes against you and yes, it's Luca and everything, but come on, like that's not going to necessarily continue. Um, at the same time, they are 25th in offense and there's really no signs of life there at all. So I, when I've watched them, I think the defense stands up no matter who's out there. And they're playing a lot of young guys. Like, yes, the Jaw stuff gets attention. Steven Adams, Brandon Clark, both out. We know that that was going to be a problem for them. But I think defensively, even when it's Tillman and it's, you know, Roddy and LaRavia and Derek Rose and whatever, I think even if it's not just Jaron Jackson, I trust their defense. Mm -hmm. It's just the offense, to your point about the lack of creators, but also just... Not really any shooting. I think that's one of the things that happens when Bain is now on the ball so much. And like I've liked that Bain is attacking more in transition, just more aggressive overall. There was a moment, I think, at the end of the first quarter uh, where in, in that Dallas game, he just dribbled it up and 
launched uh, transition pull up three. He's like, we just need something and it, it's going to be this, you know, I like that aggressiveness, but now he's not spacing the floor anymore. And it's David Roddy or Marcus Smart or whoever suddenly needing to knock down a wide open three. And they don't do that as well as obviously Desmond Bain when the ball's in John Morant's hands. So all of that trickling down. And I would say the last thing offensively that just makes life so hard for them is they don't have anybody who can finish at the freaking basket. Xavier Tillman is like a walking missed layup this year. And that was a problem in the playoffs last year. Anytime he's had a big role, he cannot finish because he's not super athletic and he doesn't seem to have the touch that you need. And so even like a, an effective pick and roll, something basic with smart and Tillman with, Jackson and Bain spacing. You'd think like, okay, those are all credible NBA players. They could get a decent offensive possession out of that. But the defense just doesn't even have to worry about Tillman at the basket anymore. They know Smart might take a bad shot. And so it just, you start to see the breakdowns and the lack of shooting, the lack of finishing, the lack of creators. It doesn't feel like they have much in the way of an answer offensively. It feels very worst case scenario very quickly. And I don't see a way that they get out of that without just hope you know staying afloat until jaws back or maybe a trade sooner than we expected i mean i I think we're there already i agree tillman at 53 percent of the rim this year that's yeah and he was at like 60 in the playoffs last year around six 63 percent of the playoffs 71 percent of the regular season last year um but but didn't play a lot yeah, played played 21 minutes a game in 52 games. And then in the playoffs, he played over 30 minutes a game. And we saw what happened. Then we're seeing it now in the regular season when he's playing close to the same minutes per game as he did in the playoffs. They also have Aldama and Kennard out with injury. I think getting those guys back at least gives them some juice. I think Kennard is just a shot maker and taker is someone that at least can give you something. But if you're if you're Brennan, I think if your offense is dependent on like Luke Kennard, that's that. No, but is, it will help. No, but that's dire if I'm like, well, can Luke Kennard like turn this around? That's dire. And then they also signed Bismack Biambo, which which I like that as a signing. He's a competent like role man big who will probably finish better than Tillman. But yeah. that's also not a real answer for what is kind of going on here. I still think a Robert Williams trade makes sense for them. I don't really know if there's like a nut like it's too early for there to be a, a wing trade or something like that to me just based on I don't know why anyone unless you're overpaying is going to give up someone like that right now that could really feel like the biggest hole on this roster. But I, I would if I'm them, Brendan, I think I'm a little nervous about being able to tread water till Jaw gets back at this point. I mean, you have 20 more, you have 21 more games to go right now. <laughs> Are you going to be like where like it, even being 500 would be a miracle. It feels like. And I would not be optimistic they get there. And I think where that puts you as a franchise for this year, there's not like an easy way for that to get better. There's not a way that that this end. This doesn't feel like a season that's going to end in a great place, barring something just miraculous over the next couple of weeks where they like maybe are like a couple games above 500 somehow before Jaw gets back. And even when Jaw gets back, what is that? Right. You know, he hasn't been on an NBA court since the playoffs last year, but before that was on and off and was fine in the playoffs, but I don't think anyone would say he looked like the peak version of John Morant, even in that Lakers series. So for the games he did play, I don't think you would ideally want to treat that as snap your fingers and and things are back to normal. If you're, if you're Memphis, it kind of made me start to think Chris about kind of big picture with this group and Mm -hmm. I just went back I think the best version of this team was 21-22 last season when they were the uh, what were they were the two seed that year and maybe they were the one seed that year and 156 games pushed the Warriors to six in that playoff series in the second round and you know Grizzlies fans felt like if Ja doesn't get hurt in that series title could have been ours right I think that was their best iteration that was only 18 months ago and already since then Kyle Anderson is gone Dylan Brooks is gone Tyus Jones is gone DeAnthony Melton is gone and that's four veteran difference makers who as much as you can explain why they left and we might have all agreed with the moves that they made Mm -hmm. you also add Adams and Clark being out 
And the ground just sort of came out from underneath this team in terms of young talent in a way that it doesn't feel like they expected to happen. It felt like they just thought sort of that they could keep hitting on the Desmond Baines and the uh, Meltons who they traded for but broke out with them after barely playing in Phoenix. And even the John Conchars and Santi Aldamas that they kind of pulled out of a hat. None of that has happened for basically since then. They have not hit on one of these picks. I don't know if we want to talk about some of those guys and how they've performed. I have some Roddy thoughts because I know you have believed in him at times. But they just, all that went away. And now they're just left with those guys suddenly needing to play and none of them being ready to contribute. Like those bench lineups are ugly when they're out there. Nobody seems to have any clue what to do. Yeah, uh, let's talk about Roddy because he's kind of the one that I kind of earmarked as maybe could to do something positive for this team this year. Zaire Williams as well has started for them, not been great. Still like you him, know, still, still like, like him. him, but yeah. But there's and look and the other thing to note here is the schedule. Have you looked at their upcoming schedule? Because it's kind of it's kind of it's a little bit of everything. I'm gonna run through okay. some of their upcoming games, then we'll talk about Roddy and wrap this up. They have the Jazz on November first. Grizzly, they they get the the Grizzlies get the Blazers on Friday, Blazers again on Sunday. So like maybe you get a, a win in there, then it's Miami, Utah again, the Clippers and the Lakers both in LA. You get Vic and the Spurs, then the Celtics, the Rockets, the Suns, the Wolves, and the Jazz again, and then the Mavs, the Suns, the Mavs, the Rockets. Like there's not you have the Blazer games, but there's not another game in there where you're just like. Yeah, man, that's a cakewalk. Like they're they could get it done. And even the Blazers, the way that Memphis is playing, they shouldn't just bank on getting two games on the road against Portland on a Friday Sunday series where they're gonna see them twice. Like they might get one, but if this was a full strength team, we expect okay, they go in and take care of it. They get two, and they could kind of normalize things. I would not have any confidence that they have games up in line here that they're gonna be able to just take advantage of in some way. That feels very unlikely to me. No, I don't. I don't. I don't trust them against anybody right now but obviously being in the west obviously some of the the east teams that you listed off it's not it's not great um let's talk about the young guys but i also was just kind of sitting thinking could they not have just tried to get somebody in the kind of shot chucker guard category and maybe they thought rose would be that i think everybody turned their nose up at that deal when it came down. I don't know if anyone understood the faith in Derrick Rose to be that for this team. Um, But even trying to separate, like, okay, yeah, you could say, well, Dennis Schroeder, I'm looking at his name. Well, Toronto gave him a bunch of money in a starting role. Probably not going to happen. But Kelly Oubre comes to mind. Lonnie Walker even comes to mind. Terrence Ross is actually still sitting out there. I don't know if that would be the worst thing to try if you're this team could you have done something for like a kobe white who was a restricted free agent who i don't think chicago necessarily cared about malik beasley not really a creator but would have been another kind of canard type who's just a veteran guy who's not lost on offense um there's just like reggie jackson maybe he was always destined to go back to to denver but i think that they're at the point watching them where i'm like even that would have helped but the reason that that's the case is these young guys. Tell me what you think David Roddy ideally is in the NBA. He's an incredibly unique player, but if you were to just say, like, the version of him that hits is blank, what even is the answer to that question? Is it like a P.J. Tucker who takes more threes? Like, is that... I mean, he's strong enough. He's got the frame. He's never going to be super big. He's obviously, like, 6'4", but he's thick. He's built like he's in, like a football player. That's what he looks like when you watch him and you see his frame. Mm-hmm. It feels like he is, like, a 4 who can dabble in some 3, but really tries to rebound well for you and takes corner 3s and can attack closeouts and is, is willing to shoot and then beat muck it up on the defensive. And I think that's the path. And, like, that's a guy that, in theory, like... You could play Triple J at the five and him as your four and, and, it, and it function. But we're not really getting that from him. Like he, I, what PJ Tucker is, is kind of, I almost sometimes, you know, he's not an all star by any means, but I think what Tucker is, is 
there's like a testament to how that guy plays that I think you can't teach that. You can't teach that guy's willingness just to mix it up and, and be engaged all the time. That's like a real skill. That kind of physicality, as big as Roddy is and as bruising as he can be sometimes, hasn't always come through. And that, to me, is probably the biggest concern I would I would have with, with Roddy's one on top of the fact that, like, I don't think he's scaring defenses by any means as a shooter. Like, he's not someone you're freaking out about if he's in the corner spotting up from three. It's probably the best comp. I looked at NBADraft.net. They tend to have some pretty good comps. They had him as George Niang. And I'm looking at PG, not as big, not, not as good of a shooter, obviously. But I think, uh, yeah, the Tucker thing makes sense. But when I watch Roddy, I'm like, he does not look as big as Tucker at all. But dimensionally, they're listed as kind of about the same thing. Like they have similar wingspan, similar height, the weight. Actually, Roddy's listed as being heavier than Tucker, which does not feel possible to me personally. Uh, but okay, go off uh, NBA, NBA, PR staffs. NBA, NBA weights are all fugazi. They're all bullshit. Yeah. So I just don't, I mean, it's not even just a weight thing. He really does just look smaller, but obviously, you know, the height and wingspan stuff, but it's it's like the combine kind of does think, a lie. I, th- I think it's just because Tucker play like t- when Tucker plays that way, he feels bigger. It's how Pat Bev is not big, but Pat Bev feels like a big guard because Pat Bev is about that physical basketball life. When you play a certain way, I think it makes you feel like you got like the, the the gamma radiation, like you're the fucking Hulk, and it makes you seem bigger. It's like you're Super Mario and you eat a mushroom, and it makes you bigger and feel bigger. That yeah. is not the case with Rod. He's 22, so it's not that it, it's just maybe he's younger and all that stuff. But like, it doesn't pop off the screen in the way you might hope it would for a guy that is naturally just that built. In his college film, I think gave you some indication that like there's like a bruiser in there. I think the thing about those guys too, whether it's Tucker or Beverly or any number of other players, is they broke out late in their careers, or at least mm-hmm. late in in their life, compared to you know what Roddy's at right now. And I think that to me kind of speaks to a little bit of what's going on here, where even though I might not believe in Roddy like as much as you, or you might not believe in Zaire Williams as much as me, and I've mentioned Jake Laravia as somebody that I'm intrigued by, and I think he looks a little more physically ready to play this year. They've all had moments. You can kind of squint and maybe think there's something there. None of them are on par or on course to be Desmond Bain, uh, you know, and and none of them are on course to even be like a, a nice fine like Brandon Clark was. They just are appearing to be incredibly dependent players who are suddenly having to be much more than that. And that's why I thought like, could have, could a gunner guy have just rolled the ball out and at least given them some structure. Even if the structure is this guy's going to shoot like 42% and turn it over quite a bit. Sometimes that's probably better than what their offense looks like when, when Bain is not on the floor. Um, do you have any Jaron thoughts? That might be the only guy we haven't talked about because when I watch them, I think that when he is able to operate in space one-on-one, whether that's in transition or in a face-up or a seal or just a quick shooting scoring opportunity, he draws fouls well, that all still is working even without a setup man like Tyus Jones or Jaw around. But hes I just don't know if... I mean, how old is Jaron? 24 just turned 24 there's a little still to go but right now he is not ready to be an offensive engine and i think we just kind of know that now i mean yeah it's he, been he, almost a full year of basketball without jaw at this point and that's just not been what he's been able to do i think we just might know what he is and that's again like he could still add it and in, in some way but he does he's not even like I don't think of Bam as necessarily like an offensive engine, but Bam does a bunch of things that are really additive to an offense. As a that, passer, definitely kind of is an engine. I think. Yeah. 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 But he, and he can also like hurry in the middle of the floor, and you're kind of scared of him. And Jaron doesn't totally feel that way. It feels kind of like you when you get a big scoring out of him. It feels a little bit like like oh okay that happened good we need to take advantage of that. So I I'm with I'm I think I'm full step with you on on Jaron. The other I, I guess the last thing I, and I wasn't thinking Jaron I was thinking about Taylor Jenkins for a second Brendan because this is year five for him and I I don't they I'm are worse a, with Jaron on than off this year just to add that nugget too they're worse when he's on the court so far which is weird mm-hmm. small sample weird. but yeah. I mentioned it with Bain so yeah seems just bad. <laughs> Taylor Jenkins. Year five 
is it possible that he just like could, could you see a world where he's like a fall guy in all of this and they just have to like like I don't know like everything just kind of feels on the table right now to me a little bit if I'm being honest sure I mean I think it is I think it to me if you're making the case against Taylor Jenkins and I want to remind that I did praise the defense and I, I think a lot of that is him yes so that has stayed and I do think that that will level out they'll be able to win some probably 93 91 types of games if they win at all in the near future maybe you'll get a Derrick Rose game whatever but that is Jenkins to me the case against him would be off the court, the locker room stuff, and I just think mm-hmm. it's kind of hard to pin that on him when we know yeah. the extent to which Ja was a problem in and of himself, separate from anything else going on. Ja just had issues, and I don't know if anyone else on this roster necessarily does, so it would sort of be like blaming Ja's issues on Taylor Jenkins. That doesn't feel fair, but that would be the only way I could see it. Otherwise, obviously, like things are stale. You see coaches get fired for that stuff all the time, but... I would blame Zach Kleiman personally. Yeah, but th- this is this uh, this is the way this works. Is the GM gets a chance to fire a coach? I and I feel for yeah. coaches yep. in this. I I feel for coaches because you look around the league at a lot of different situations that are not the coach's fault. Where a coach could get fired, let's say like a, a Chris Finch in Minnesota, for instance, is someone like if things don't go wrong and they change coaches, he didn't choose to bring in Rudy Gobert. Maybe he had some input. I don't fully know. But like coaches get fired because the front office guys are the ultimate ones with mm-hmm. the, and it's a chance for them to save their job and fire the guy below them and extend themselves. But I agree with you. I mean, Zach Kleiman is the one who didn't just like throw all the picks they had in for someone who was more proven, who traded for Justice Winslow in a trade that did not work, who has seemingly missed on a lot of draft picks. Yes, he got it's crazy bane, how but fast like, stuff can flip i mean the but climbing was like the jewel of the nba for a while with the way that he built the core of this team and they still have that core i don't think a new coach would change much i think you kind of are what you are if jaw is your point guard at the end of the day he's gonna have the ball he doesn't really spot up he's fine off the ball i'm not it's not like impossible but that's gonna be how you play offense your half-court offense is going to be a question mark. Like, I think a lot of the things are personnel, and so I'm going to blame the guy who controls personnel, but you're totally right, of course. I think if things really go badly this year, maybe they make some trades, but they would probably fire Taylor Jenkins. Then Zach gets one more year. And if he can't do it, then maybe ownership fires him. But I don't know. I I don't know what... uh, There's not going to be an early season move. Trades like that don't happen. So No, no. Unless they're, they're like kind of stuck with this and then hope jaw does fix some things and they're not too far out of it by then. Yeah. And what I would, I think the last, I think if there's a lesson about this broader, Brennan, to spin this out a little bit, and maybe this is, this is a, an episode we can do later when we see where this, this ends up. I think for teams that find success in some way that particularly, I would, I would say like smaller market franchises, Minnesota, Cleveland, Memphis, like go around the league, go to the smaller markets that are never like they have to draft and they're going to have a hard time bringing in the biggest same players. I think Sacramento, I would put in this as well. When you get when the window presents itself, I think you owe it to yourself, your organization, your fan base to try to push it through as best as possible and as aggressively as possible. Because five years is five years out is not guaranteed. A year out is not really guaranteed two years out is not guaranteed i think you owe it to yourself to within reason push things aggressively as possible and i would wonder if you look back at memphis and you ask that climbing in ownership there do you regret not being a little bit more aggressive in pursuing this i i wonder if they would say yes i would tend to think they would and i think if i'm all these other teams that are in not exactly one-to-one comps, but similar situations in terms of needing to maximize whatever is in front of them right now. I think they owe it to themselves to pursue things in a really aggressive way. Like if I'm Sacramento, yes, I'm really happy with Keegan Murray and I'm really happy with internal development, but I'm trying to maximize this as best I can because I, you can't guarantee that this is going to hold up for as long as you think it might on paper. This 
situation, some of these problems would be here this year with Ja. Yes, 100%. To your point. But that ex- but Ja has exact but the Ja situation and him being suspended and I think rightfully suspended and all of the other concerns, you read the ESPN story, all that stuff. That has exasperated everything. Mhm. Cuz there's not your franchise bedrock has not been was not a bedrock for you and you probably needed him to be that bedrock for you. Yeah, it just makes me wonder did those you know, miracle records with jaw off that we saw for years and some of that stuff just give them rose colored glasses. It gave a lot of us that I think it would have been reasonable. But as I listed off uh, at the beginning, how many of those vets are gone now? Like the guys who gave you those great records with jaw hurt, that isn't here. So it could never have persisted that way. You you were going to have to do something. And yeah, you can't plan for jaw missing 25 games, but as we just said, I don't even know if Jaw's going to fix this at this point. So this feels like a team that should be on watch to do something pretty pretty dramatic at some point this year. I think we can say that for sure. Do you want to just say one thing about Dallas from Monday? Um, the Luca had a three with like 30 seconds to go over Desmond Bain that I think is just like the most heat-checky shot I've ever seen Luka Doncic take. Do you know what I'm talking about, Brendan? You know what I'm talking about? Uh, I saw a, a montage of all the threes, so I did I did see it. He he one dribble between his like step back, like three feet behind the yeah. line, and Desmond and he just it's just like I'm feeling it. I know this is going in. It feels like he's playing darts when he does that. Like the ball just yeah. floats through the air and it just hits exactly precise. Like the passes also, it just feels like the precision and stuff is on another level. I'll add a Luca he, thing while we're here. He should. No, he should. Do you know the you know the dart celly that some like uh, James Madison does it, but like mm-hmm. Luca could do that, and it would. He could. He could act. I don't know if he plays darts like that. I don't know if that's like a should. thing for him. But like he could make that like a cool NBA celebration. I think if he was just like doing the darts thing, should do it better than the bow and arrow. Or, that's played or out. Or he or he should do the. He should, he should just like because he's from the Real Madrid family. He should just every time he hits a three like that, just do the Jude Bellingham and stand there and just like look up in the sky and then knock it back on defense. He should also do. Yeah, that. I was just gonna cool. say you're uh, getting Luca punched in the face by a teammate if he's gonna do all of that <laughs> after one made basket in the NBA game. Uh, this point has been made by other people, but the Mavs are playing faster. I like Luca hitting the outlet pass a lot more. And oh, specifically, yeah. the chemistry that he's developing, he looks for Josh Green on those every time. And it's just oh, yeah. like, Josh, go. And, they're, and then Josh, because he's so unselfish, Josh Green will then also be looking for the pass. And it's just like those two making like crazy transition plays multiple times a game. I'm like, Luca, you didn't have to be rolling the ball up the court for the past five years, brother. You could have been doing this all along, but maybe it was just Josh Green had to get minutes for this all to come together. Either way, I, uh, I'm liking it. That, that team looks good so far, I think. Undefeated so far. Uh, Luca may be coming for Kevin Love's title as best outlet passer in the league. It's well within his reach. I mean, he's the best other kind of passer, I think. Or up there, so why not do it in transition too? Yeah. All right, we're gonna end there. We'll be back next week with more on the Just Basketball Show. Thanks again to our production team on the back end for doing their thing, and check out our, our full backlog, including a great episode with Jack A.K. Jokicar from earlier this week, where we did a bunch of fun things, and I said something that was immediately proven wrong because James Harden plays for the Clippers now. Enjoy the hoops, everyone. We'll talk to y'all early next week.